Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. How's everybody doing all right? You can talk back to me, it's okay. You're good. Thank you. I'm just going to get, get th- well, aim to please, Noel. Just want to make sure everyone's all right. Everybody's got a comfortable seat. I'm going to start that one. My name's Graham. I have a wonderful wife. She's there on the front row. I've got three boys that are in the kids' ministry. That's about all you need to know because we want to dive straight into what we're talking about this morning, what we're going to be encountering. It's already on the screen. The title of today's message is going to be Ways of the Wilderness. I, uh, I need to set a bit of background, though, because I'm not actually Australian. I'm English. And uh, if you're English in the house, how proud are we of being English right now, of being British? Have a new king, guys. I don't know whether you know. Um, his name's Charles. He's the third one we've had, and he's pretty awesome. Uh, if you're a Republican in the house, it's not your day. Um, it's about the king right now. Um, but I grew up in the UK, grew up in southwest England, and uh, my, whole, my whole shtick, my thing when I was a kid was like going outdoors, like into the woods. It's not the bush. It's not called the bush in England. It's called the woods. And going out into the woods, making shelters, making fires, doing the whole thing, like collecting things that you might need to do that, learning, reading books, understanding like the wild. Are you with me so far? Like amateur naturalist, that's kind of my jam. That was who I was as a kid growing up. Out in the woods was doing my homework, going straight out, spending weekends up, camping, doing the whole... You're with me, aren't you? That was my jam. I would dream, though, of the real wild places. Are you with me? Like Arizona deserts or like the, the, uh, the wild Alaskan wastelands or the Australian outback, the really wild, because where I grew up, it wasn't really all that wild. Like you're pretending to make a shelter and someone would be walking past with a dog. Um, like it wasn't really that intense, you know, you know, I'm going up to survive for the weekend and you'd take a can of beans and a little packet of sausages. That's the jam, right? You're with me so far. The wild wasn't all that wild where I grew up, but I always dreamt of these wild places. I live in Australia now, so we've got wild places galore, right? It's like a big deal here. But that was pretty much my, that was what I was, almost felt like I was born for. And I feel like wild places too, you find them a lot in Scripture. And we're going to talk about wild places, the wilderness this morning. And I hope that you're going to come with me on this journey because I'm going to tell a few stories from Scripture that are hopefully going to build a picture, paint a picture of who God is in the middle of those wild places. And as, it's, as an aside almost, you've got to remember that most of the stories that you read about, specifically in the Old Testament, weren't written down for a very long time. In fact, most of the stories that you hear about in the early years of the Old Testament were just passed down moment to moment, day by day, week by week, around a campfire, outside of the tents where they'd gather and someone would knock on the, knock on the tent. You can't knock on a tent. You'd open the tent and ask grandfather or you'd ask mom or you'd ask uncle and say, tell us the story of how Jacob was wrestling with the angel. Tell us the story about Adam and Eve. Tell us the story about Noah. Most of these stories were just passed on like I'm doing right now, telling you what was happening, how God was relating to his people. So I'm hoping we can kind of build a bit of a campfire this morning. And you can come round. Is that cool? Can you come with me? If you're going to come with me this morning, it's that, just to hear these stories. The world is 
full of wild places and so is the word. Sometimes they're wild and, and, and dry places. Sometimes they're wild and they're full of unknown. Sometimes they're wild and they're full of barrenness. The wilderness plays a big part in Scripture physically and as a picture of who we are as humanity. What we face as people, the places we find ourselves, the difficulties we might face, the circumstances, the seasons we find ourselves in, the Word has so much to say about the wild, about desert, about dry places. I even brought one with me this morning on the screen, so you can start thinking about it. So let's look at a couple of characters in Scripture about their experiences in the wilderness, about the barren times, the itchy, kind of difficult moments. And we're going to kick off in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, and our first character is Jacob this morning. Scripture's going to come on the screen behind me on this giant Bible. I've got a Bible too, just to prove that I also have a Bible. Um, Verse 22, it says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. Bit of context for you here. Jacob is actually sweating for a whole lot of reasons. We see he's actually in this moment afraid for his life. He isn't in debt. He hasn't actually killed anybody. He isn't on the run from the law. In fact, in this moment in Scripture, Jacob is actually a big success. Jacob has every excuse to feel blessed and on top of things and feeling like life's going pretty good. But instead, he's anxious and afraid. He's filled with trepidation. He's actually been holding a guilty conscience for years. If you know the story, he's afraid the mistakes of his past are coming back to make him pay and pay for his life. He double-crossed his brother when they were younger. He'd stolen a birthright. Causes a huge, big rift in the family. Jacob escapes and he runs off. And even with all of this blessing and success, he's right here in this moment, feeling like it's all about to be undone. Undone by his past mistakes. He's trying to appease his brother who's going to potentially kill him. And in this moment of urgency and stress and, and, and anxiety and pain and not knowing what's going to happen, he sends his family over the river with everything he owns, to go and stand alone. He's empty, kind of stripped back, if you're with me in this moment. It's just Jacob and the sky. Illuminated by stars, sand under his toes, here he stands at the river Jabbok, which actually in Hebrew means emptying. So here's Jacob actually stood at this river completely empty, completely left with nothing. He doesn't know what's left. He doesn't know what's going to be ahead. He's afraid that it's all about to come to an end. And at his darkest, in the middle of this night moment, at his most afraid, the night before his reckoning, his past barreling down on him. We're going to leave Jacob right there. We'll come back to Jacob. Set that aside. We're going to pick up another character, our second character. And you might have heard of this one too, famous character in Scripture called Gideon. Gideon is in a foreign land. He's taken the promised land under a general named Joshua many years before. The tribes are settling and multiplying, but they're under constant attack. Gideon and his tribe, his friends, his family, his nation is constantly under assail from another uh, series of, of, of tribes. God uses lots of other people to bring judgment against Israel, or rather to deliver them from these Uh, marauding tribes to set up a whole new nation. They've come out of slavery. They're about to step into everything that God has for them, this amazing promise. And God uses all these different people. And at this moment, here is Gideon's story. In Judges chapter 6, it says this in verse 3. 
Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the donkeys. Even the donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived in droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. Pretty bad moment. But it says this in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. One of the most famous moments in Scripture. The Lord is with you. Listen to the reply. Give you a picture of where Gideon's at. Verse 13, it says, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Hear the tone in his reply. Hear the tone. If the Lord is with us, why has this happened? Where are all the miracles? He's probably not as sassy as I am right now, but you can kind of hear where this is coming from. Where are all the miracles? Didn't they say? Yeah, but now, Gideon sounds frustrated, doesn't he? Doesn't he sound disappointed? These heroes of the faith that we read about in the Bible, he sounds a little bit peeved, a little bit cheesed off. That's a very English statement. Here's Gideon, totally disappointed, totally at the end of his like, well, you said it would be like this. But it's actually like this. I mean, if you've been in those contexts, those situations before, we've been in many of them as a family. We recently went around, not around Australia, we went about as far as Yapoon and then turned around and came home again. Uh, but we were, in context, we'd left Newcastle, so that's actually quite far from home. We got as far as Yapoon, and while we were at Yapoon, we were staying there for Christmas, decided we'd go to what was advertised as an amazing wildlife park. I'm hoping that no one here has any, like, shares in this wildlife park. Um, We went to this wildlife park, supposedly an amazing, amazing experience. They were supposed to be, like, dinosaurs there. I mean, not real dinosaurs, obviously. That would be a miracle. Uh, But, like, like pretend dinosaurs. And there was, like, supposed to be birds of prey and crocodiles. And we got there. First kind of sign was that it looked like it was the front of someone's house. Um, It wasn't... Like it wasn't like Australia Zoo, it wasn't particularly well signposted. Anyway, we got there, get into there, and honestly, just a huge letdown. Like the dinosaurs weren't very big, and they were all like dilapidated and broken. There were holes in the, the, like their bodies, and they were made of like some sort of fiberglass that was crumbling, and there weren't very many. The crocodiles they had were sort of about this big, like weren't exactly like Australia Zoo crocodiles. That's what we had in our minds. We thought it was going to be something. Another time we actually went to Canberra on holiday. We saw all of the, the brochure for the hotel. We get there. There's only, well, there was just about enough beds, but there was only three plates for a family of five. And we're talking like only three plates. There was about four forks for everybody. You know, in this kind of circuit, maybe it's just me and my luck with booking.com. But like, have you ever been in those moments when like total disappointment, Total disappointment. If only the dinosaurs were twice as big and they even like move, that would have been good, but no. We even got to Singapore Airport once, didn't we, during a trip to the UK. 
and thinking, wow, has anyone actually been to Singapore airport before? Amazing airport, right? Everyone's like, you're going to love it. The best airport in the whole world. They've got the big thing and all that you can go to the, with the waterfall and it's amazing. We get there during COVID and you can't leave the terminal. So we'd booked to spend like a whole day at Singapore airport. Had to stay at the terminal. Had to stay at the bench with the things plugged in and the kids were just loving life right then. I tell you, disappointment is real. <laughs> But maybe, like, there's more real-life examples, yeah? That are probably a little bit more biting than a disappointing travel trip or a TripAdvisor statement that was a bit misleading. Maybe we've just been disappointed in the end of friendship or an investment that went sour. Or we've seen failure in church leadership or disappointment in our careers. We've seen so many things that we get disappointed with in life. Gideon is facing real disappointment. I'm hoping that you can see what we're trying to build in this this morning from these characters, Jacob and, and now Gideon. This isn't how you said it would go, says Gideon. He's bitter, he's tired, he's confused. Whenever they planted crops, they were stripped bare. Every time they went to work on something, every time they put their hand to what they knew they needed to do, they were immediately stripped bare, immediately broken, immediately disappointed, immediately disheartened. He's dutifully working and seeing no results, hidden, forgotten, running over the miracles he had heard about over and over. I doubt that was the first time he'd made it to that wine press, but you can imagine him climbing into that wine press, just a, a big, big depression in a rock, or they built them out of the side of a hill so that you could climb into it, and the, the wine was supposed to get squashed, the grapes would be squashed and the wine would flow out. The wine press was supposed to be a picture of abundance, of, of, of free-flowing blessing, because here we are, we're, we're crushing the grapes, and here's the beautiful result. But instead that, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, doing the wrong thing in the wrong place, hiding from his enemies, climbing in every time and using the fork. And the whole point of a, wine, uh, of a threshing floor was that it was supposed to be exposed and open so the wind could blow the chaff, and he's down inside a hole. He's working against entire laws of nature and he's, he's fluffing the chaff up in the air and it's not working, but he's barely getting by. And as he's going day after day, I'm assuming that he's done it many times because why else would he be in there? Because he has to survive and he's not, he's, not, he's not just surviving. Or rather, he's only just surviving. This wine press was supposed to represent thriving and here he is just surviving. Round in circles. I'm assuming he's doing it in circles. Maybe he went backwards and forwards. But can you see the picture? Every day. I thought we were supposed to be in a promised land here. I thought you said there would be abundance in this land. I don't see any milk. I don't see any honey. I don't see any promise here. Every time I, every time I plant, it gets ripped up. Every time I go to do something, it just fails thought you'd promise something bigger than this. I'm, I'm a bit, bit downheartened. Thought you'd, thought you'd come through. Gideon's angry and bitter, mad at God for leaving them, confused at their problems and found in a barren place. I'm going to take you to one more character, one more hero of the faith, and his name's Elijah. 
It's one of the most famous prophets of the Old Testament, right? Elijah is the symbol of God's power at work through his prophets. Jesus even meets him at the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah is a big deal. Not just a minor prophet, this guy's a major prophet. At the height of his influence and power, we found him having faced down a wicked king. He's prophesied a drought. He's prophesied rain. He's lived by a brook where he was fed by ravens. Provided miraculously for a family. Raised a dead boy to life. Publicly challenged the godless king, mocked prophets of Baal, called down fire from heaven and slaughtered 400 prophets of Baal, outrang a king's chariot. That's just like the first bit. This guy's on fire, if you excuse the pun. But even with such an impressive list of achievements, in 1 Kings 19s, we find him on the run. It's a famous story. But even after that triumph with the prophets and the mountain and the fire and everybody seeing what's happening, we see him here in verse 3, fleeing for his life. Elijah was afraid. It says it right there. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there, leaving others. He then went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah's depressed. He's run out, burnt out, empty. He's alone. And he wants to end it all. Alone in the wild, curled up under a broom tree. See, there's not much left to Elijah right here. <laughs> he doesn't seem too conflicted. There's no battle. There's no fight left in him. Simply resigned that he's better off dead. He'd rather trade the noise of his calling for the quietness of death. It's real and serious, low and dark and deep. And now you're all so excited that you came to church this morning to hear an Englishman talk about the most depressing stories in the Bible. Thanks, I'm so glad I came. But isn't that true to what even these scriptures are about? There, there has to be like a, a break in the tension. There has to be like relief from the tension. We need release from the pain. Hopefully, I've dug a big enough hole for you to fall in this morning where, you, where you're, you're needing it, right? If I ended the sermon next, we need release from the pain, the irritation. We need, we need to have a hot shower and get rid of the sand and the dust and, and start again. Jacob is consumed with guilt, afraid his past will undo his future. Gideon is bitter and disappointed, surviving but indifferent and doubtful. Elijah's burnt out and depressed and hopeless. Maybe there's another story that you could add to this. Maybe it's your own story. Maybe these three are just three out of a whole load of other stories here in the room this morning. Maybe you've been in those places. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was recently. Maybe it's right now when you're in these moments of, of, of irritation, of, of, of holding on, of not knowing how you were going to get through, of not understanding why you're in these circumstances, of not Wanting to, not wanting to believe again, not wanting to raise your head and maybe believe that there's something. Maybe there's a personal story for you here. Maybe you're feeling stuck or ignored or irrelevant and useless. These, these deserts, these wild places, maybe we only see them every once in a while. Maybe they're every week, maybe they're daily. Walking endlessly through this landscape of fractured dreams and barren vision, we need release. We need relief. We need to be free. But maybe, maybe if I just had a bit more money, that might help, yeah? That might be true, amen? Maybe if I had a bit more money, I'd be refreshed. That might get me through. If I had more friends, if I had more influence, maybe if I had more skill, if I had more training, 
Maybe if I had a better network. Maybe if I had a better career or a better health care plan. If I tried harder. If I pleased more people. If I just got to pray more. Where is the river in the wild? Where's this stream in the wilderness? Where's the relief? Fear not. He's coming. Not what, but who. Not what's coming, but who's coming. You watch each one of these Bible characters. Jacob wrestles all night with a stranger who blesses him at daybreak. Gideon is confronted with a heavenly visitor who performs miracles and empowers Gideon to lead a nation. Elijah is woken gently in the wilderness and is fed for the journey he has to meet God. Their relief is not in possession or even purpose or prose. Their relief is a heavenly visitor, a divine interruption into their darkness. Further study, an almost, almost unanimous scholarly conclusion renders it unequivocal that these manifestations of God, these angels of the Lord that appear, are none other than Jesus himself. The angel of the Lord that appears are pre-incarnate visitations of Lord Jesus himself. Fear not, he is coming. I pray you're listening this morning. Fear not, he is coming. Disappointed, maybe. Broken, yes. Needing release, absolutely. But in their wilderness, they meet Jesus. You see that Jesus brings blessing and reconciliation to Jacob. Hope and courage to Gideon. Kindness and purpose to Elijah. Oh, how we need him. He's not put off by our brokenness. He's not frightened by our disappointment. He's not tired of our whining. He's not given up because of our mistakes. He's not laughing at your decisions. He's not ignoring your cry. He's not distant from your pain. He's not hiding from your anger, and he's not afraid of your past. There's no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. When we're at our lowest, when we're at our deepest, there's no one like Jesus to come and rescue, to come and bring relief. Jesus is coming into your wilderness. And when you think he's forgotten you, or when you're lost and when you're alone, Jesus meets you. In the barren and the desperate places, in your lowest, hopeless places, when you're drowning in tears and dirty with depression and dust, when you wheeze and neek and your eyes are hazy, it's there he appears and he whispers and he blesses and he feeds and he speaks life and he delivers. It's there that he strengthens. He's not far away. The whole of Scripture is one entire principle of, Dan even said it, of how close God is in these moments. When we draw close to him, how close he is to us. One verse that we could pluck out is Psalm 34. and verse 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. We could spend hours unpacking the entirety of Scripture to find out exactly who Jesus is. But even in this moment, he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This is the story of our humanity, isn't it? Finding light and life in the person of Jesus. This is the gospel. Broken, dry humanity, lost in sin, separated from a holy God, being restored and rescued by a God that descends into wilderness and then ascends in victory and power. If I could get the team up, that would be amazing. You can read these stories. Go home. Figure them out. Read about Jacob. Read about Gideon. Read about, read about uh, Elijah. Jacob went away with a new name, a brand new identity. Gideon realized his God-given potential and saw mighty miracles. Elijah went onto the mountain and discovered God afresh went on to anoint another generation. Their lives were significantly changed and altered. The trajectory was shifted. 
And we could end right there. I could stop preaching right now and you would learn about Jesus. You would know that in deep and dark and distant places, Jesus shows up. I could teach. We've learned about this, haven't we? We've just gone through it. I've landed a good sermon so far. It's been good. But there's more to it, isn't there? There's layers upon layers upon layers. It's possible that these stories and others others like it, maybe the wilderness that you're in, that dark and hard, irritating place is the canvas on which God outworks his important masterpiece of power and deliverance. Could we almost say for us to not despise the wilderness? I pray you're listening. I'm not saying the wilderness is God sent, but in the bitter moments and the hard learning hours, is that where God does his most valuable work? The problems and the curse and the barrenness is not God sent. His entire character and purpose is wrapped up in what? In delivering and rescuing his people. He's a rescuer. That's what he does. That's how he operates. But while we're waiting, while we're believing the promise, while we're watching for the dawn, it's there where resolve is honed, where courage is cultivated, where the ground is plowed. Could we go even further and say that maybe it's not just the situation you need immediate deliverance from, but also maybe we need deliverance from ourselves. Maybe we need delivering from our hurt and from our bitterness and our offense and depression, our fear maybe, even our shame. Maybe the greater bondage can at times be within, not just without. God's promise is true. His word stands firm. But while I'm waiting, I'm not just waiting. I'm being changed from glory to glory. I'm being transformed into his image, believing for God's goodness to be seen in my life. Jacob wasn't suddenly whisked away, was he? To another part of the country and given a free pass so he didn't have to deal with Esau. He wrestled with God and came away different. He then went on to face his brother. God dealt with Jacob delivered him from his past identity and changed his name and his legacy forever. Listen to me. Gideon still had to face the enemy. God didn't just pick him up and say, you're a mighty man of valor and then never give him a chance to prove it. He still had to deal with his people, still had to face an insurmountable army, but with an expectation of what? Of good things. That God was on his side, that God was with him. God dealt with his abandonment and his indifference. Elijah spent another 40 days in the wilderness. He didn't suddenly get transferred and swept up on a fiery chariot at that point. Before encountering God on the mountain after earthquakes and fires and the wind, he hears a still small voice. A couple of chapters later, he stares down the wicked royalty who are hunting him and delivers his final judgment. Can you see the deliverance wasn't always immediately uh, immediate external difference. They all eventually receive what they've been promised. (laughs) But their encounter with Jesus radically affected them. How they dealt with circumstances in their situations. And it's only Jesus who can deliver that. Only revive the broken, breathe life into dry bones. It's Jesus in the wilderness when you encounter who he is that you change on the inside, ready to face what it is that's ahead of you. And I know in this room there'd be hundreds Literally, of circumstances, of things ahead, where you don't know how you're going to go and do that. You may be a threshing wine in a wine pre- uh, threshing wheat in a wine press, doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. Maybe you're like Elijah, lying broken, giving up, not knowing if it's even worth carrying on. I'm not going to do that anymore. You said it would be different, and I've ended up here. 
Or like Jacob, waiting for your past to catch up. Waiting for the difficulties and the decisions that you've made or the shame that you've got or the the brokenness inside to finally catch up. And you stood under the stars thinking, these were once promises to my grandfather, but they mean nothing to me here. Maybe that's you this morning. And I know there's going to be lots of different people in lots of different circumstances, but we're going to we're going to sing this song. If you can stand to your feet, we're going to sing just this chorus. Holy, there is no one like you. I want to bring your focus back to this Jesus that meets you in the desert. And then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for some people here this morning because I know that people have come here this morning and one of those stories, or maybe even all three, but one of those stories, one of those people, one of these characters, one of these heroes of the faith that we can uphold and glorify just as human as you are broken and lost and disappointed or just in need of refreshment. We're going to sing this song. I'm going to read a scripture when we come back from having sung this chorus just once or twice. And then we're going to come back and I'm going to read a scripture for you. Go ahead, Jazz. You're doing great. I want to read this scripture to you. It's from Isaiah. I love that this is a prophetic scripture. Dan's been talking a lot about seeing things for what they really are. Not just looking, but seeing. Nothing better for that than reading prophetic literature. Getting into what the Bible says. What what the prophets wrote about. Can I encourage you to start reading prophetic literature? Get you you in the zone. Get you understanding how God operates. What you can see when you read this. The, the, The passage break in my Bible actually reads the Lord's promise of victory. And it's in chapter 43 and verse 14. It says, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylons to flee in those ships they're so proud of. In verse 15, it says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. He's reminding a broken people about who he is. That's the context for this. I am the Lord who opened a way through waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt and with all its chariots and horses, I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle. And this is the famous passage in verse 18. It says this, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. Are you listening? See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I pray you're receiving this this morning. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and the owls too for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. That's prophetic literature, speaking to a nation thousands of years ago, but it's for you this morning too. Through Christ and all the promises that have been promised to you through Christ, they're all yes and amen. Can I say that to you one more time? Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. That is precisely what every one of these characters went through, were in. They land in this wilderness. They've found themselves in a myriad of different circumstances, but they're tired, they're lost, they're depressed, they're rejected and indifferent. 
abandoned, all these big, horrible words. They don't need some impressive, amazing solution that would make them write it down and try and work out all the vision and have a five-step plan for this and a seven-year category of strategy. What came in that moment was Jesus. And I want to give that opportunity to you this morning. I don't want to labor over this too long. I want you to understand who he is. That in this moment, he brings refreshment. Whatever it is that you find yourself in, he brings new life. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you what? Not see it. I pray that you open your spiritual eyes to what God's doing. Not only in this house, not only in this church, not only in this community, but in your own heart, in your own life. So with eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to respond to that, Jesus, this morning, maybe, maybe you've come to church this morning and you've never known him before. Maybe if you've never experienced his saving power, his salvation, this God that reaches into humanity and rescues us out of sin and, and brokenness and shame and gives us a new life, dies on the cross, rises from the grave so you could have eternal life. If you've never met that Christ, that Jesus that steps into your wilderness of sin and your humanity and rescues you, if you've never experienced that this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and say, I'm, I'm ready for that. I want to know that Jesus. So with eyes closed, I'm going to count to three. Very simple, just so we know who said it, we can understand with an arm raised after three. One, two, three. If that's you this morning, I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So many hands. People who want to know Jesus. Rescue you from your sin. Rescue you from your brokenness. Rescue you from your, your despair and your sin. Give you a new life. Wash you. Make you clean. Make you righteous. We're going to pray a prayer all together and then we're going to pray for each other as well. But in this moment, I want to want to repeat a prayer. I'm going to say it. Everyone in church is going to say it too. It just seals that moment. It just makes you understand that something's happened. The journey's long. The journey's many, many years ahead. But in this moment, we get to mark it with a prayer. So I'm going to pray. You're going to say it after me. Everyone in church is going to repeat it. It goes like this. Dear Jesus. Come on, everyone in church. Dear Jesus, I thank you now. I receive you now into my heart, into my life. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising again. Thank you for giving me a new life. Thank you for making me righteous. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help me live every day for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Why don't you give those people a round of applause? Afterwards, Someone's going to come and find you. Hopefully someone saw you put your hand up. If you didn't, or if you know you didn't, or you need to put up your hand, come and find us at the Connect Lounge. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Dan. Come and talk to somebody here. Last thing I want to do, I want to pray for people who found themselves needing refreshment. People who need a new river in their wilderness. We're going to keep singing this song. If that's you, I want you to come out of your seat. We want to pray for you here. There's loads of room. People here who want to pray with you. You've identified with Gideon, with, with, with Jacob or with Elijah. Maybe you're run out, you're lost, you're left. And you just need a fresh touch from God this morning. I know there's people here that have come and thought, I don't know whether I'm going to get through this week. Like Gideon, you've faced an insurmountable army coming on the horizon and you think, I've got nothing in me to do this this morning. But God's here to refresh, to give you a new name like Jacob to instill something deep in here that gets you stand up take another step 
experience that victory. Claim that, that promise over your life to, to have that conversation with your husband, to talk to your wayward child, to go to school and be a light in the darkness. If that's you this morning, we're going we're gonna to start singing this song. If that's you, why don't you come forward right now? It, we're going to have people praying for you. If that's you, why don't you come? Come out your seat right now. Go for it, Jazz. Let's sing. Hallelujah. Come forward right now. Amen. Amen. Such a sweetness of his presence here this morning. Pray you can receive it. Even if you didn't come down the front, I pray that he's, he's meeting you right here. Meeting you for this week. Meeting you for the days ahead. Meeting for the hours ahead. Meeting you for conversations this week. Meeting you for meetings and, and deadlines. And I pray he's refreshing you. I'll leave you with this scripture and I'm going to hand over to Dan. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Father, I pray every heart, every, every family represented here, Lord, this week would understand that you're with them. You're close to them. In their moments of burden and despair, Father, you're closest. Pray they'd hear your voice. I pray they'd see what you have for them, that you're doing a new thing in them. You're doing a new thing in this, this house, in this community. Father, I pray they'd see what you have for them this week. Pray you bless them and guide them in everything they do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.